0: and in the spirit of celebration, we're happy to announce that our membership is ratified Doug Kempton as our lead pastor. have an installment service at some point, probably April or May, trying to coordinate schedules right now, so you'll hear more about that later. Uh, We are also hiring the mentoring pastor and the executive pastor, so we ask for your prayers with that. Obviously, two very important positions. We want to make sure we get them right, so we would appreciate your prayers. Uh, With that, let's go ahead and pray. Lord, I love this church. I love what you're doing here, and I love what you've been doing through Doug and through Meg through their faithfulness through their story through their service and we thank you so much for um, for giving him this role for calling him to this role and we just ask you to bless him let this church flourish but Lord we know it's not Doug's church, it's not the eldest church it's your church as Al Coonley used to say you are the senior pastor And so, Lord, we just ask you to speak to each of us. Nobody is here by accident. You are not a God of coincidence. And so we ask you to help each of us to understand where we're to serve, how we are to fit as a member of your body here at Grace. And again, we just ask you to bless this church and let it flourish not for any of our glory, but for your glory. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Thank you, buddy. Love you.
1: Hey (laughs) y'all. So things are going to be a little bit different this morning. Um, We're going to talk a little. We're going to hear some stories from people. Uh, We're going to sing a little. Then we're going to talk a little and hear some stories and sing a little. And then we're going to do it again. So um, it's going to be a lot of fun. But I want you to start by grabbing your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. We're going to read verses 36 Through fifty, and as you're looking for that, I just want to encourage you to do a few things. One thing, which I say all the time, is I read the story. I'm going to ask you to engage your imagination. Something we need to learn to do more and more when we read the scriptures. Put yourself in the story. Maybe you're at the table with the people having dinner. Maybe you're part of the crowd surrounding the people having dinner. And before I read, I also want to kind of give you a a, a sense of what's happening here because it's a little out of the norm for what we would expect. But in the the New Testament time, in the Greco-Roman world, it wouldn't be uncommon if you were gonna have a prominent person, a teacher over to your house for dinner, that the whole community would know about it. It's a small town and, and word gets out. And so they would come to your dinner party, but they would come and stand on the outside, literally standing in the windows of your house, watching you have a dinner. Wouldn't that be odd, like you're having dinner and all these people standing, just staring through the window, listening to the conversation. Well, sometimes the crowds would get so big, they would even move the people out into the courtyard and they would have dinner in the courtyard and then the crowds would gather around And listen in on the conversation. It was kind of done for two reasons. One, it was kind of a way for the host to brag. Like, look, I'm having this important person over to my house. Kind of like name dropping without name dropping. So you get to come and see. And it was also a way that that the whole community could share in what was being said or taught in the dinner. But there was some ground rules. You could come, but if you weren't part of the dinner party, you you just got to watch. You weren't supposed to engage. You just stood around and watched. So that's the scene. So you have to picture that because that's so... Out of the ordinary for us. We wouldn't expect all of the neighbors, we have company over, to come stand in the window and stare. As a matter of fact, we'd probably call the police if that happened. So something different is going on in this culture. So that's the setting that I want you to imagine as we read this story. Luke 7 verses 36 through 50 says, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he, being Jesus, went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and she wiped them with her hair and kissed them and poured perfume over them. When the Pharisee who invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who's touching him and what kind of woman she is that she's a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Well, tell me, teacher. Two people, they owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other owed him 50. Neither of them had money to pay him back. And that's the key phrase that we have to hold on to. Neither of them could repay their debt. Remember, in this culture, not being able to pay your debts sometimes meant imprisonment. Neither of them were able to pay it back. So he, the moneylender, forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them would love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You've judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned towards a woman and he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house and you did not give me any water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. And Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this that even forgives sin? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Now go in peace. Lord, I just pray that as we open your word, as we study your word, as we hear uh, testimonies of people, Lord, that you, would, uh, that you would enter into the deepest parts of our soul, that you would do the good work that you do. Lord, I pray as we pray almost every Sunday that we would not leave the place the same way, way we came in, that you would do something in our lives that, that brings about change, Lord, that we wouldn't listen to a, a good story and teaching and sing because it tickles our ears, but that we would want. To have deep movement in our spirit. So, Lord, today we just pray as we continue on in the service that you would do great things in us and through us. In Jesus' name. Amen. So Norflet told you uh, just a minute ago that there's power in the blood of Jesus, right? That, that we have overcome by the blood of the Lamb, right? We talked about that a little bit. But he also said, but we, we also have this opportunity to overcome because of the testimonies of others. That there's something that happens when we hear the testimonies of people that encourage us, that inspires us, that allows us to know that what God is doing in their life, God is willing and able to do in our life as well. So here we have a story from Scripture, and her testimony, this testimony of this woman, ought to serve as a word of encouragement to you and I. It ought to inspire us in the way we approach God. The reason I love this story is because it's such a striking comparison between two individuals. So we have this woman, right, this sinful woman, and we have this guy named Simon who's a Pharisee. Let's talk about the woman at first. This woman, she comes to the party, right, and she breaks all the rules right? She's not, she's not holding up to what social etiquette would say. She's supposed to remain on the outside, either looking through the window or standing in that circle in the courtyard around the dinner. She's told that she's supposed to be silent. But if you think about the, the, the commotion that it must have caused, she was anything but silent, right? She was creating a stir, right? And worse yet, everyone in the community knew who she was. Everyone in the community knew that she was a sinful woman, she comes to the party, and she must have carried with her such a sense of, 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 of just a lack of self-esteem. And, and what we do know is she carried with her a sense of guilt. There's something that's stirring deep inside of her that she knows, I've done some things, and, and I, need to, I need to do, do life differently. There's, there's guilt there. So if you remember part of our study, we talked about the difference between guilt and shame. You remember what the difference was? shame says, I am a bad person. Guilt says, I've done a bad thing. Those are very different messages. And it's so important for you to hold on to those two messages because it has a huge difference in how you move your life because there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God does not say to you, you are a bad person. But he may say to you, you've done a bad thing. So guilt leads to repentance. It leads to an apology, right? And I'm a bad person leads to shame. So there's a difference. So she doesn't come to the party with shame, but she does come to the party with some sense of guilt. She realizes she's done bad things and she knows she needs forgiveness. She knows she needs freedom from the bad things she's done. She wants to put her behaviors of the past behind her. As a matter of fact, that jar of perfume, which really was was a symbol of what she did for a living, She used that perfume to make herself more attractive to men. That became a symbol of what she was doing. She was pouring that out on Jesus' feet. She was saying, I want to put this life of sin behind me. I want something different going forward. So she comes to the party and she approaches Jesus with this reckless abandon. It's really unfathomable to to the risk that she takes. She doesn't care how, how other people are going to respond. She really doesn't even care much it cost her. From the other gospels, we know this was a very expensive thing that she did. She didn't care about any of that. She just wanted more Jesus. The fact of the matter is she was willing to remove all of the curtains and to be totally exposed, maybe even to public ridicule, and she falls at the feet of Jesus and she weeps. When I read this early this week, I found myself saying to God, I want that kind of reckless abandon. I want to be willing to just chase after God with that kind of fever, with that kind of of passion. There is something in, in this woman, this sinful woman, that inspires me as to how God wants me to chase after him. She becomes a testimony for all of us. But there is another character in the story, isn't there? There's this guy, his name is Simon. He's a Pharisee. That means he's one of the church leaders, right? And in fact, if you think about it and you read between the lines, you can see pretty quickly he's pretty arrogant. He's kind of haughty, uh, a little pretentious, somewhat judgmental. And so I'm reading the story and I begin to ask myself, who am I more like? Am I more like the woman or am I more like the Pharisee? Am I more haughty and judgmental? Do I stand in, in, in a posture of like, look at me or am I willing to fall on my feet before God or fall on my face before God? It's, a, it's, a, it's, an, it's an intriguing sort of dichotomy of two people. The passage says that Simon said to himself, it says he was thinking to himself, boy, if if Jesus just knew who this woman was, he would never let her touch him. Matter of fact, he in his mind disqualifies Jesus as even a prophet because he's allowing this sinful woman to, to touch him. And I love this. Jesus knows what he's thinking. Jesus knows what he's thinking. Does that ever happen to you? You ever think about something or someone and and you're thinking about, you're having a thought in your mind and it's maybe not the thought you should have and the spirit of God like intersects your mind. He's like, yeah, that's not the way we're supposed to be thinking. It's that that interruption of what was going on. Well, that's what happens. But he does it by asking him a story, something Jesus does regularly, tells stories to help get a point across. And he says, I want to tell you something. And Simon, being a good host, looks at the guest of honor and says, tell me. He says, I want to tell you a story. There were these two men, and both these men owned, owed money to a money changer. And the, the scripture says, but neither of them could, could pay it. Big deal in this society. We just got to hold on to that. This is, this is a big deal. Debtor's prison really existed. Neither of them had the ability to repay their debt. One owed a lot of money, and one owed a little money. It's kind of like, I said earlier, it's like if, if somebody were to retire your mortgage or buy you lunch, Right? right? So which one are you going to be more thankful for? I mean, I love it when people pick up my lunch, but I'm telling you, if somebody pays my mortgage, I'm going to be a little different, right? I'm going to respond to that gift a little differently. That's what the point Jesus is trying to make, right? Is there's one's a big debt, one's a little debt. They're both paid off. Who's going to be more grateful? And of course, Simon says, well, the one with the mortgage, of course, the one with the larger debt. And Jesus says, you've judged correctly. But what's the point? What's the point of this story? Is the point of the story that the woman was more sinful than Simon? Was the point of the story that we're going to judge who's the most sinful people in the world, and then the most sinful people, if they come to Jesus, they're going to love Jesus more. That's not the point, because this isn't a story about who's more sinful. It's a story about forgiveness, because remember what Jesus said. Neither of them could pay their debt. Neither of them had the ability to pay the debt, and debt just represents sin. Both of them were sinful, but only one of them knew it. Both of them had sin, but only one knew it, and only one was willing to fall at the feet of Jesus. Now, the Pharisee only saw the sin of the woman. He didn't see his own sin. And that's the difference of the two people in the story. Jesus is saying to us, when you know how much you are forgiven, when you know how much you are loved, you will become better lovers of God and better lovers of people. Those who are forgiven much, love much? The question is, do you know how much you've been forgiven? Do you know the price that God paid to forgive you? Do you know the length that Jesus went to to offer you this forgiveness that you have? If you want to be a better lover, if you want to love your wife more, if you want to love your kids more, if you want to love your neighbors more, if you want to love your coworkers more, if you want to love your friends more, then ask God to show you how much he loves you. No, I mean really ask him. Like make it a regular prayer. Maybe every morning when you get up in the morning, you say, God, show me more and more how much you love me. Show me the the depth of your love. Help me to grasp, help me to understand how much you love me because the scriptures say we love because he first loved us. So our ability to love others is really rooted in our understanding of how much we're loved. It's the story that Jesus is telling to Simon. This is the reason why Paul prays and, and, and to the church in Ephesus and to us. He says, I, I want you to grasp how high and wide and long and deep is the love of Christ and I want you to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. I want you to know God's love more and more and more because that's what's going to fill you to the fullness of God. So Jesus comes, he walks the earth, and he sacrifices his life. He goes to the cross for you and I, and the scriptures say that when he gave up his spirit, meaning when he died, that the curtain in the temple was torn from top to bottom. What did the curtain represent? It represented separation between God and man, 60 feet high, 30 feet wide, as thick as a man's hand. There are, there are documents out there that say that the, the curtain was unterrible, that you could put a chariot of horses on each corner and have them pull with all of their strength, and you would not be able to tear this curtain. But the curtain was torn from top to bottom. God tore the curtain. Do you get that? This unterrible curtain, whatever curtain you have in your life, it's not anything compared to the power of God you get that? If God could tear that curtain, it was a picture, a moment in time, so God could say, this, there is nothing in your life that I cannot overcome. There is nothing in your life too big for me. So Jesus comes, Jesus dies, and the curtain is torn between us. The woman at Simon's dinner party, she had a past. Truth is, we all have a past, don't we? But she knew something. She knew that, God was safe because God's love was way bigger than her past. And the question I would ask you is, do you know that? Do you know that God's love is infinitely bigger than whatever your past is? Let's continue to sing.
2: woman is you. And I created you specifically for such a place and such a time to bring me glory. And when I created you, I said, she is good. (laughs) Really? Really, God? And he said, really, Paula? I created you specifically for a reason, for me, for my glory. You are enough. Sorry, off.
3: Good morning. I want to share with you some of the stories from our Grace family during this church, uh, church Without Curtains study. I've been attending Grace Community Church since August 2014. I thought that I would engage in several activities and ministries before making a commitment to become a member. Lo and behold, I found myself a part of the church-wide study, A Church Without Curtains and in a small group of women that I had no prior relationship with. I couldn't imagine taking down curtains, draperies, blinds, or shears among women I did not know. This past week, however, I found myself spilling out responses, feelings, and my heart to the listening ears and hearts of at least eight other women. We laughed, we validated one another, We resonated with one another. We prayed with one another. Is this connection or what? I then asked, is someone other than our group praying about the outcome of the curtains groups? I came to this realization because I took necessary steps to take down curtains between two relationships outside of the group. There is power and there is connection within the groups studying A Church Without Curtains.
4: Here's the testimony of one of the gentlemen that's been involved with the Church Without Curtains study. The Church Without Curtains study has been nothing short of amazing to me. I've been a Christian for 44 years. I always wanted a close, intimate relationship with the Lord, but my attempts were never quite what I thought they should be. You see, Adam walked with God. Abraham was the friend of God. Moses was allowed to see the back of God. Samuel was used in a mighty way by God. David was a man after God's own heart. Jesus' disciples were handpicked by our Savior. What I didn't realize until this study was that these men and others had a relationship with God because they were willing to present themselves to our Lord just as they were. The good and the bad, their weaknesses and their strengths. They understood that all real relationships are meaningful and satisfying because each has bared his soul. I had been unwilling to do this. My reasoning was this, I have to get myself together first. I can't bring the sinful side of me to the Lord because he hates sin, doesn't he? And since God is holy, I therefore must be holy to even be in his presence. I now know that God not only enjoys us when we drop the curtains and come to him as we really are, but we in fact enjoy it, God knowing that we are accepted however we are. Yes, indeed, I have found that my new relationship with Christ is the one I had been hoping for all of these years.
3: If it's true that we appreciate something more when we have to work for it, then I've really appreciated the current study. Some weeks I felt like I was mining for gold, sitting through the scriptures, sitting through the teachings over and over to glean everything I could out of them. This wasn't an easy process, but I'm so glad I had to do the work for myself and not just absorb someone else's insights. The time spent meditating on the material and seeking the Holy Spirit's help has drawn me closer to the Lord and convince me firsthand, through firsthand experience, that he, the Holy Spirit, really will guide me and lead me into all truth.
1: Let's just get something straight. You can stand when you want to stand and you can sit when you want to sit. I could tell some of you are like, we're so used to like a standing rhythm and a sitting rhythm. So just follow whatever you feel prompted to do. It all works. Hey, there's something really cool going on. I think I'm going to, to change things up going forward when I'm teaching and you guys are like giving me the uh-huhs behind me. It's kind of like old school. I got these people behind me like uh-huh. That's right. Uh-huh. It's kind of cool. So keep it up. I like it. So from now on, we're going to have really big chairs back there, and those guys are going to to be my backup. Hey, so the, the curtains are torn. We have access to God. Do you know that? No, really, do you know that? The curtain is torn. We have access to the living God. It's pretty amazing news, but the reality of life is we sometimes have a distorted image of God. And our distorted image of God puts us in a place of fear. And our fear causes us to put up curtains. Our fear keeps us from approaching God like the woman approached God with that, with that, that reckless abandon. We don't really understand the, the perfect dad love that, that we're, that's made available to us. You see, the truth is we're afraid that our deeds, we're afraid that our behaviors are gonna be exposed and we're gonna be punished. We deceive ourselves and think that it's better to hide so we follow in the footsteps of Adam and Eve, and we hide, not just from God, but we hide from one another. And here's what I want you to know. All of our hiding is based in fear. All of our curtains, behind the curtain, the, the thing that holds the curtain up is fear. But you know what the scriptures tell us? First John says, there is no fear in love that perfect love casts out all fear. Do you know who perfect love is? Do you know who perfect love is? It's Jesus. When we really know, I mean really know deep in our hearts that God is love, then we have nothing to fear. So I think about this woman at Simon's dinner party. I mean, she had to have some fear. Think about it. It had to be pretty intimidating to even be willing to go to the party. This is a community that doesn't look well on sinful women. She took a lot of risks to go, but she knew something about God. She knew something in the character of Jesus that allowed her to put her fear aside and approach Jesus with reckless abandon. It's a perfect picture of perfect love casting out all fear. What is it that allows us to abandon our fear and and literally fall at the feet of God? And it's just one thing, It's, it's love. We have to learn deep in our spirits that God is love. That's what allows us to throw off the curtains and throw off anything that's entangling us and run towards our Father. It's the only thing that will allow us to give with hearts of generosity. It's the only thing that will allow us to lay our curtains aside. The fact of the matter is when we learn how much God loves us, we become better lovers of people and better lovers of God. I want to encourage you not to be afraid. The truth of the matter is God is not waiting for you to screw up so he can punish you. That's the image so many of us have of God is that God is just waiting to bring the hammer and and to punish me and I just got to do the right thing. And if I just do the right thing, then I'm not going to get in trouble. And that is not the heart of God. Can I tell you that's not the heart of God? God will never leave you or forsake you. Some of you were abandoned by your own father, and you live with that feeling of, is God just going to leave me out here to dry? Is God just going to abandon me? God is not going to make you figure out on your own. So many of us have just figured out how to be self-reliant. If I don't do it for myself, nobody's going to do it for me. Can I tell you that's not the heart of God? God is not going to rage over you. God is love. You get that? God is love. You cannot escape the presence of God in your life. The psalmist says, how great, how numerous are your thoughts of me. You know that you are on God's mind. He is thinking of you. You are God's son. You are God's daughter. You are his poema. You remember that sermon? You are God's poem. You are God's artwork. You are God's poetry. He created you. Think about what Paul has said, that realization. No, God made me who I am, and he made me the way he wants me. God sees you in a way that you cannot even fathom. God loves you in a way that's beyond your wildest imagination. God loves you as a Abba Father. Do you know what an Abba Father actually means? It means Daddy. And until you know God as your daddy, you will not throw off the curtains. We have to get to the place where we know God as our Abba Father, and that's what inspires us to be people without curtains and to be a church without curtains. God says, I love you with an everlasting love. I made you exactly the way I want you to be, and I love you beyond your wildest imagination. Let's keep singing.
5: Father
6: everlasting, the all-creating one, God Almighty. Through your Holy Spirit, conceiving Christ the Son, Jesus our Savior.
3: study became much more of a personal battle between God and I. God was talking to me in the depths of my heart asking me to stop running. I was able to hear what all God had for me. He began to reveal that I used my past as an excuse and put limits on myself. The real fear that I needed to face was being afraid of all the potential that God sees in me, and to believe that God has no limits for me, having to face the awful attachment of being prideful and being reminded that I wear it as comfortable as a new sweater was a reality I knew came from God. I began practicing asking myself, where am I with God, and what, what am I doing about it? I knew in the depths of my heart that God has put me in a body of believers that are striving to walk in real freedom as I am. Well, life can only get better from here.
4: There's another gentleman that wrote this testimony. I discovered that one of my curtains has to do with money. Although I know I continue to have a grip and hold on tightly, I also know that God is doing his work in me to loosen that grip. I was surprised when I realized that money could actually be a curtain. I was even more surprised that I could admit this to my small group. My heart wants to be a generous, cheerful giver, but my wallet doesn't. I've often asked myself, why can I give so freely of my time, but not my money? What I realize now is that this curtain, this grip on money has been holding me back from growing in my relationship with God. And it's keeping me from experiencing the joy of blessing others. I now know that I need to let this go. And I trust God that he's helped me loosen this grip this curtain is coming down.
3: Here's another story from our Grace family. Taking part in this study A Church Without Curtains has made me a 59-year-old woman realize that for several decades I've hidden my past behind curtains which just kept me in a state of being the victim. By opening up letting go And turning to God for the courage, I have been able to confront my mother about the emotional and physical abuse that she put me through my entire life, and I've been able to let her know that it stops right now. I've been praying and asking God for me to be able to look through the eyes of the Lord so I can love her, and that she can see what she's been doing all of these years and all of my life and drop her curtain, too.
4: more testimony from a gentleman. When I first heard Doug's poem, Adam's song, our song, I cried because I've not been able to think of God as my dad. Through this study and reading Adam's song daily, I'm getting ever so close to knowing him as just that, my dad. I think that growing up with a stepfather who was not a loving dad has greatly influenced my relationship with God the Father there's been a longing in my heart to feel his love as only a dad can give I see that love in my son in his relationship with his three daughters perhaps the gentleness of God's response as Adam or I were hiding behind our curtains touches me the most he calls your name calls you out of hiding no rage no lecture only love only forgiveness. The entire poem is so beautiful to me as it builds like a crescendo, an upwelling of love and climaxes with your dad has come home.
2: saints communion and in your holy church i believe in the resurrection when jesus comes again
7: God, I believe that you're everything that I need. God, you're King and Lord. You're Alpha and Omega. You're the first and the last. You're the author of my life, the creator of everything. <laughs> you're all I'll ever need. God, I believe. God, as a church, we declare we believe. Lord, as we get ready to bring our offering, we believe you in that too. That you'll give more seed to the sower, bread to the eater. That Lord, you'll be faithful to You be faithful to us. We trust you with our resources. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Ushers, you can come.
1: I gotta dig that section back there. They had that like. Good thing I wasn't back there. Would have thrown the whole thing off if I'd have been standing back there. But nicely done. I do sort of wonder, I thought about this as first service. I didn't say it, but I thought about it. Um, I wonder how much different our worship would be if we had a little bit more of the sinful woman in us. Not the sinful part of the sinful woman, but the reckless abandoned part of the sinful woman. Right? I mean, just think about how she was willing. Like sometimes, I don't, sometimes I think we don't worship because we're thinking about, like, like what are they going to think? Like, I don't want to look funny. Look, she, she, she wasn't really worried about how she looked. She just, she just worshipped. So, anyway. 2 <laughs> Peter chapter 1, verses 2 through 3. says, grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and goodness. Peter is writing, and he's telling us that the reality of being a follower of Jesus is that you have everything you need. Do you believe that? Do you really believe that you have everything you need? You have everything you need for life and godliness. So if you go back and you look up the word everything in the original Greek, it means everything. (laughs) It really doesn't need much explanation, does it? Everything means everything. So you know the crazy part about this passage is it says you have everything you need financially. It says you have everything you need physically and everything you need spiritually. The truth of this passage of scripture is that if you have Jesus, you have everything you need for life and everything you need for godliness. Now let's be clear, this does not mean that you'll be rich. It does not mean that you may not face a health crisis what it means is you have everything you need. You have everything you need for life and everything you need for godliness. Because contentment is not found in stuff and contentment is not found in health. Contentment is found in the only one who gives life in Jesus Christ. Contentment is found in walking with Jesus. And as we learn to live into this reality, that's when we can let go of the curtains. That's when the curtains are peeled away. And that's when we realize we have everything we need. Everything we need for life and godliness. If you look at the passage, it actually says that as we grow in our knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, we have grace and we have peace. As we grow in our knowledge of the Lord, As we understand God more and more, we have more and more grace and peace in our lives. How many of you need more grace and more peace in your life? Amen? The passage also says that we have everything we need through our knowledge of Him. We have to grow in our understanding of of who God is and how much God loves us. We have to know more and more and more that it's the love of God that changes everything. As a matter of fact, that's why we exist as a church. That's why we exist as a body of believers, is to make God known. Our purpose is to make the love of God known, not only in our own spirits, but to the people around us. Everything we do as a church, everything we do when we sing these songs, when we teach from the Word of God, when we take your kids into, into the children's program, when we do kids stuff, when we, even the cafe, everything we do is done through the filter. of How does it help us to make God known? How does it help us to, to help others to know the love of God more and more and more? Excuse me. <clears throat> this is one of the reasons I'm excited about the next series we're doing. So starting Easter Sunday, we're going to launch a new series. And the series is called He Is, I Am, So What? He is, I am, so what difference does it make? He is, I am, so how should I respond to my neighbors? He is, I am, so how should I respond to difficult circumstances? He is, I am, so how should I live out my life? You see, the more we understand that he is... I am, the more it changes who we are as individuals. So, we're going to launch into this series, and, and I'm excited about it because it's a chance for us to tell more people of who God is. It's going to be a walk through the book of Ephesians. Where Ephesians really, Paul just writes this beautiful, uh, uh, this beautiful chapter after chapter of telling us who God is and how we ought to respond to who God is and all that he's done in our lives. But we're going to do something a little bit different right now. We're going to bring up the house lights. And when you came in you got a bulletin, and inside your bulletin was a little card. It looked similar to that uh, screen up there. Uh, If you didn't get a card, the ushers are going to walk through right now with cards in their hands, and they're going to have pens. And here's the deal. I want you to ask the Lord right now, who should I invite to this series? Who do you want me to invite to the He Is, I Am series? And I did this myself a couple weeks ago sitting in my office, and I just said, Lord, who do you want to invite? And I immediately thought of a, a woman that used to work for me at Kingo's. We stayed in touch and her boyfriend, and I just wrote him a note. And I just said, hey, we're having a, a series that's going to start on Easter Sunday. I'd love for you to join us. It would be great to see you there. Let me know. Signed it, put their address on it, put a stamp on it, mailed it to him, And then I went over to Paula's office. and I said, maybe we should do this. And she said, you know, I have a, a friend at Grace. They've been here for quite a few years now, but that's how they came the first time. I just sent him a card and said, hey, We're starting a new series. Maybe you should come join us. They've been here for years now. The church has had a big impact in their lives. So here's the deal. I want you to ask, and right now, I'm gonna give you a minute to fill out the card. Dear, whoever God brings to mind, we're starting a new series on Easter Sunday. We would love for you to join us. If you put their address on there, then I will mail it for you. I'll put the stamp on it. If you don't know their address, take it home, write the address. You can bring it back and I'll put the stamp on it. If you can find a stamp in your house and you mail it. Do you have one of the cards? Does somebody have a card? Can I have a card? Yeah, me. I'm not allowed to have one. If you write in the top part where it's got the print and then we'll do the address in the bottom part. Some people wrote in the bottom part and then we don't have room for the address. So we're gonna give you a minute. I really want you to write a note right now to somebody and invite them to the next series that we're doing. You too. So if you decide you want more than one card, we have lots. We'd love for you to fill out more. I'm telling you, the handwritten note is going to go a long way to making people feel like they're welcome. If you want to drop it off at in the information counter when you go out, we'll mail it if you have the address. If you want to come back after you put the address on it next week, we'll still mail it for you either way. So I, I went on Facebook this week and I posted this question. I said, there's a movement of grace that is dot, dot, dot. And I asked people to fill in the rest of the, the sentence. There's a movement that grace, that grace that is. And these are some of the responses I got from you. I got, there's a movement of grace that is contagious, electric, loving, inclusive, spirit-powered, rejuvenating, irresistible, celebratory, incredible, exciting, transparent, extraordinary, spectacular, energetic, and joyful. And I have to tell you, I was disappointed that one person said awesome or amazing, it was like the perfect setup, and you all just kind of left me hanging there. But here's the deal. God's doing something. God's doing something in this place. There is, there is no mistaking that there's a movement of God happening in this place, and we need to bring our friends because they need to be exposed to the love of God because it is the only hope they have for life. The only way they're going to have everything they need is to have Jesus. Jesus. So bring your friends, expose them to what God is doing here. You know, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Anyone who comes to me will never walk in darkness. That's a pretty definitive statement. They will never walk in darkness. But you know what else Jesus said? He said, you are the light of the world. So which is it? Is he the light of the world or are we the light of the world? And here's the reality. When we live lives without curtain, we reflect the light of God. I mean, think about it. If you close your curtains and you turn on the lights in your home, does the light get outside of your home? No. When we remove the curtains in our lives, not only does God do more in us, but God's light reflects in us to others as well. We reflect the beauty of God. We reflect the glory of God. When we live lives without curtains, people see God in us, and they are attracted to the God, the only God who can give them everything they need for life and godliness. The bottom line is this: we are victorious. Do you know that? I mean, what Norflet said is true. Satan's coming, but he's already lost. Satan may storm in, but but he's already lost. We have overcome. Do you know that? When you have Jesus, you have overcome. We as a church, we have overcome.
3: Just a couple of final stories from our Grace family. Confession is not just a list of what I think I've done wrong. It's letting the Holy Spirit take me on a journey through my soul to face disturbing, long held and protective beliefs about myself and others. It's knocking down false and weak pillars that's been my base for behavior and the basis of my responses to people. And it's peeling away and destroying curtains that I've depended on to hide my real self. One final story. How can I be in complete agreement with God? Have I submitted myself in faith and poorness of spirit to him? Have I prayed honestly Psalms 139 and listened for his answers? Have I allowed the light of his truth to reveal my curtains? His Holy Spirit gives me the power to overcome the fear of seeing myself as I am and to step out of my darkness. His Spirit gives me the love needed to see myself and others as God sees. His Spirit gives me the solid foundation of his true wisdom to step from darkness into his marvelous light.